0: <laughs> the younger son in the second half of the movie, when they're older, was played by uh Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin, who, yeah. He's He's gone on to, to, to do have stuff. the more successful Culkin career.
1: Welcome to great the great IMDb succession. podcast, where we just talk about people's credits.
0: I mean, kind of. <laughs>
1: Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, it's almost Halloween, and you live in San Diego, California.
0: Cassidy Robinson, it's almost election day, and you live in an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains.
1: Yeah, don't remind me. Have you voted?
0: Yeah, I already did that. Okay, you voted by mail. Yeah, and
1: I'm not standing in line with a bunch of rednecks who... Wear their
0: mask under their nose. I mean, neither did I. I, uh, I did. Uh, so California did something cool where automatically every Californian citizen got their ballot by mail, even if you weren't signed up to yeah. vote by mail. Um, my
1: mail situation right now, besides the fact that the the overall USPS is totally fucked up right now, my yeah. personal mail situation is fucked up because. I was living with my folks for a few months. And when you go to change your address, it just asks for first and last name. And me and my dad have the same first and last name. I go by my middle name. And so there's. I'm like, if I put just first and last name, they're going to start sending his mail to me. So they're still getting some of my mail.
0: That's kind of fun, though. I mean, you could get – you can see what – Mailers he gets, I don't know, the mail system. <laughs> Throw mean, away the ones like... I don't want him to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's
1: like a whole like movement of kids, kids, people our age, taking their parents' cell phones and deleting, like, uh, unsubscribing them from certain Facebook groups.
0: I, I mean, <laughs> that's kinda where we're at. It should, I mean.
1: Yeah. Right? I don't know. Parents? They just don't understand, as
0: uh, they- <laughs> Will Smith used to say. They can't handle the internet. They can't handle TV. No. All the things that they were worried about happening to our brains happened to their brains. Yeah. So no. I guess I guess it makes sense why they were worried about it.
1: It's all projection. Yeah. Anyway, so um this is a movie review podcast. Uh today <laughs> we have kind of an interesting episode. Of course, this is the episode um that's coming up before uh, Halloween, as we said. So hopefully, um, this will actually, you can listen to this before Halloween. Um, but we're or, going or to- Or you're be... listening to this later. Or- And yeah. Halloween has passed. It is a, it is a, uh, evergreen podcast. So, um, but we're gonna, we're gonna be doing something kind of different. I had an idea of, of reviewing two, two movies. One of which is a horror film directed by somebody who's not uh, normally associated with the genre. And then the other is a uh, drama non-genre film directed by somebody who is largely associated with horror. Uh, the films in question being um, What Lies Beneath by Robert Zemeckis and Music of the Heart by Wes Craven. So uh, we'll get to those, and then uh, we kind of have a little bit of a game here at the beginning of the podcast. I thought we'd, we'd just get right into. I, I, a big part of my year, my 2020, has been uh, really enjoying the King cast, the podcast by um, Eric Vesper and Scott Wampler, who used to be uh, writers over at the now defunct uh, Birth Movies Death. They've been doing this podcast, they have guests on and stuff to talk about, uh, Stephen King adaptations. I've been going back and, uh, watching the ones that I love and then also catching up with the ones that I, uh, have never seen before. And, um, I, th- I just feel like in general, we've, we've talked about a little bit, like ever since it came out and made a butt ton of money, there's kind of been sort of a, a King renaissance in pop culture. Everyone's really hot on King right now. Everyone's going back reading the books or listening to the audiobooks and, uh, uh, catching up with the movies. All of these properties are, you know, are, are in production or going to be. Um, mm-hmm. so I thought we've done this before with directors or, or, uh, different franchises and stuff. This, uh, uh, over under, um, and best and worst. And we'll be talking about, uh, our favorite, least favorite, and then what we deem as a, a Stephen King's, uh, most overrated and most underrated adaptations of his work. So we can start here. Let's go ahead and start with underrated. For you, what is the most underrated Stephen King adaptation? Oh, God. And it, just it, just as a primer to all of this, um obviously there's a gajillion of these things. If you count all the TV movies, if you count all of the specials and the, you know, just everything...
0: Stephen King has a gajillion books. Yeah. He, he has yeah. so many books, and most of them have received some kind of adaptation. So right. I, some of them have had more than one. Yeah. Um, so we're only going to be talking about what movies we've seen. We've seen <laughs> yes. Um, and possibly books we've read. Um, yeah. G- depending. Uh, yeah. So – I I kind of have a three-way tie here for my most underrated.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, if there's um, one that's burning out at you a little bit more than the others, uh go ahead and say that one
0: first. Uh so there's two that are more modern and one that's older. Okay. Um so I'm I I'm gonna say uh the two we two we've recently talked about on the podcast, so I'm not gonna go into too much detail about them. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there are enough eyeballs on them um but for the most part, they received pretty good critical praise um uh I'm talking about Doctor Sleep and Gerald's game right um I yeah. think both of these those are both
1: flanagan Mike Flanagan,
0: yeah. Uh, and I think they both kind of went under the radar. Gerald's Game um, did a little, I think, because it was a Netflix original, and Ooh. they have so much content that it's easy for that to get buried. Um, Doctor Sleep, due to, I think, various marketing things and just timing, um, I don't think it received the attention it deserved. Um right. The older one I'm gonna say that I think is underrated, and this is because of a private conversation we've been having um with a a little Marco Polo group of ours uh, i'm gonna say and it's just not not a title that immediately comes to mind, I think when you think in Stephen King adaptations um so the older underrated one, I think is Christine. Um, directed by John Carpenter, which we also talked about on this podcast.
1: We did. We did that as a streaming homework some time ago. You can go back and look for that. Um, yeah, all three solid choices and, uh, my choice is actually buried in there. Uh, mine is Gerald's game. Um, I think officially because we talk about Dr. Sleep pretty much every episode when we're not talking about <laughs> Batman. <laughs> so, um, we, people That's know true. Our, it's
0: not, it's not underrated with us, no, with us. It but. is
1: definitely not.
0: <laughs> um,
1: but yes, I think that that movie was kind of underseen. Well, I mean, very underseen, but Gerald's game, I think even more so because yes, it was a streaming release only. Um, it doesn't have any huge stars in it. Um, they're all kind of character actors, um, you know, part of Flanagan's stable, of, uh, uh, television actors and stuff, but.
0: And Stephen um, King's
1: stable. Yeah, great actors nonetheless. And, uh, and also, I think, um, it's not one of Stephen King's most well-known books either. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it kind well, I think
0: it was a short story? No, or, it was a novel. Like it came
1: out, it was a novel. It came out, um, early nineties, I think kind of around the same time as Misery, like when he was kind of doing more, Coming out of Supernatural a little bit more, um, and, mm. and trying other stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think King fans, people who are super obsessed, they know all about it. Um, and I believe that there is a tie-in, like a uh, character tie-in um uh with uh Dolores Claiborne. Like there's the whole thing in um in Gerald's game about the eclipse, and I mm. think that that event occurs also in Dolores Claiborne.
0: So it might also occur uh he I mean he his books bleed over a lot. I I think
1: it's a, it's him. like a Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's yeah. he's been writing them to tie in together a bunch. And some movies include more of that stuff than others. But mm-hmm. um I think this is a great it's a great tight little thriller that I don't think you have to be a kinghead. I don't think you even really necessarily have to be like a, like a horror enthusiast to really appreciate, um, just like how well directed and concentrated that film is. Yeah. So that is my underrated, uh, and yours as well. Um, yeah, one of them. (laughs) Yeah. What is for you the most overrated, uh, Stephen King adaptation?
0: Okay. This is, which
1: is different than bad. It's different than bad. You can think a movie is,
0: good or even great and still be overrated funny you say that because this my pick i i also this is where you way- get to
1: get people mad at you
0: yeah i also had a tie for this one um but i'll i'll go with my most controversial pick first sure i think i think carrie's a little overrated you son of a bitch Yeah, uh, now here's the thing, uh, it's a good thing that you, you you know, that disclaimer, because I, I think it's good. I think it's, I think it's a good story. Mm -hmm. I think it's, uh, uh, the Brian De Palma movie, Mm -hmm. I think is really good. I just, I never- The first one? The first book? The first movie? The first one? Yeah, I I just, I never-
1: Oscar nominations?
0: (laughs) I, I, okay. So, let me explain myself. I personally never had, like, a direct connection to this movie um, in any real way. I've, I've seen it a couple times, um, and to me it's a little dated, and I just, I, I again, I think it's a good movie, <laughs> it's just, any top list of Stephen King, that's usually number one or number two, definitely top five. And yeah, maybe top five, definitely top 10, but to me, it's not number one. It's not, you know?
1: I guess. I don't know. I just, because I I appreciate everything about it, but I guess if I'm to, um, imagine myself in your lived experience, I'll accept that you and some other people don't find it as brilliant as I do.
0: It's not even that it's not brilliant. I just, (laughs) I think it's more that I never personally connected with it and and like it's not uh one that i ever you were never see, teased like... in school? No,
1: I, I mean, know of for course. a fact you
0: were. Of course I was. I just I don't know. I I never I never like wanna revisit it really. I Ooh. don't know. I just just never clicked, I guess.
1: All right. All right. No wrong answers except for when they are. Um, what was your other one? Your, I guess your runner-up on that.
0: My other one, I think, is a lot less controversial. Um, the It miniseries. Um Ooh. I th- I think there's some nostalgia blinders, especially when the new It came out. Yes, um, yes. Because talk about dated. That is super dated and pretty boring. Um, th- I think the only thing that really holds up in that movie is Tim Curry's, uh. Admittedly, great performance it, it, surrounding production values and other such nonsense that just I don't think is ever that good.
1: Yes. In fact, again, that is my answer. And actually, on this answer, I'm going to say all things it related, Um with the exception of the book, which I like a lot. Um And we, we've talked about this on our Marco Polo group, and I've gone into some great detail about it. I don't think any adaptation has really quite caught the magic. I don't, there, I think there's something about that book that is a lot darker and a lot more sinister and a lot more elemental than you really get from any of the adaptations. Actually, funnily enough, I think if we're just talking about the mood, the miniseries is, probably captures it a little better, but it is so dated. Interesting. A lot of the actors are not that good. Um, the, the music is, is like really obvious and insistent. Um, and then that, you know, the second half, the first half is tolerable. The second half is unwatchable, um, of the, of (laughs) the, of the miniseries. And then the, the new movies, they're fun, uh, horror blockbusters. The first one is a little bit better and is a decent little contained horror thing, but I think Tone-wise, it just kind of misses the mark. It, the jump scares and stuff—like it's basically it by way of Bloomhouse—and it didn't need to be that. And I think that it could have—I would have really liked to have seen Kerry Fukunaga take on that when he was originally mm-hmm. attached to it. I think he would have taken it in a darker direction and would have—he would have understood, I think, the tone a little better. Blah blah blah. The book's a gazillion pages long. There's lots of weird shit in there. And some stuff you can't even film without, like, being sent to the FBI. So I get it. Like, you can't do the book exactly. But I think that there's some just, like, philosophical understanding of, like, what the horror of that story is that hasn't been totally achieved. Um And I think It, The Clown, Pennywise, the whole thing is a cultural phenomenon despite the fact that the movies they're attached to are only okay.
0: So. All right. Coming in hot.
1: Yes, very. Let's, uh, let's go ahead now. Um, what is your least favorite? Um, or okay. the worst, depending on yeah. it, it, the two are not necessarily synonymous, but your least favorite, bottom of the list, uh, Stephen King adaptation.
0: Uh, the worst, the absolute worst, number one with a bullet, bad Stephen King adaptation for me personally, uh, was the dark tower. Um, Oh, you saw that.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and we we're talking about the most recent thing with uh e. there's Elba. only
0: been the one. There's only been the one. And right. it and here's the thing. Uh it's not a good movie, mm-hmm. uh, regardless. Like it's a bad movie. Um the, the story kinda doesn't make any sense. It's pretty generic, you know, cable sci fi fair um what we get. But it's also the worst to me because it has the most potential. Uh, the disparity think, between the
1: quality of the book versus the movie and
0: yeah, yeah i I think uh i so the Dark Tower series is what really got me into Stephen King, and largely it's because of the way he does this interconnected universe, and like it's first it starts off as sort of this weird high fantasy cowboy western um but then it becomes this sprawling multiverse epic where he crosses over with all these other works that he's done uh so it's also you know one of his most ambitious projects ever uh, and if handled correctly i it could be a you know a fucking 100 hundreds of million dollar franchise like it could be a game of thrones uh i think uh, amazon recently passed on a pilot for it i think they're fucking idiots and eventually yeah. somebody's going to give the dark tower the treatment it deserves. Hashtag and it's going to give it to Flanagan. Hashtag give it to Flanagan. <laughs> uh, and it's going to be a license to print money. It's going to like, if, if it is given the time and the respect that it needs to find its audience, it will be massive. I do think it needs to be some kind of a, uh, I, I think I, you know, ideally like prestige cable series. Yeah. Um, cause you can't do it in, you definitely can't do it in one fucking movie. Um, and yeah. So it just falls so hard. The only redeemable quality of the movie is that Idris Elba is a pretty, pretty choice casting for oh. Roland Duchesne. Um, but they give him literally nothing to do. They take all of the, uh, the literary interest out of the character and turn him into just the most basic of dumb action heroes. And he doesn't even appear in the movie. Sorry, fucking spoilers for this shit-ass trap. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even appear in the movie for the first, like, half hour of a 90-minute movie. The gunslinger? The gunslinger. Yeah. Uh Yeah. It, it, like, the whole first half hour is all of this really boring bullshit about uh Jake who is one of the main characters and there's some of that is in the books but they expand on like the worst most boring parts not most boring but like they just do it in a way that is completely tone deaf and disinterested in anything uh related to the source material it sucks
1: all right yeah I did not see it. um I heard pretty quickly that it was not what it should be and i I just got a feeling like it's inconsequential. Yeah. We're gonna get the right thing soon enough, so maybe I, I mean I think so oh unless you know pandemics and everything uh notwithstanding but I think eventually we'll get we whether it's a show or a series of movies or whatever it's gonna be done the right way especially because King is so popular right now, and it is like his flagship work. And
0: you know what would be awesome? Like it, it. Okay, here's here's my director's pitch. Okay. Um. Uh. It would be like a prestige cable series. It's gonna cost a fuck ton. Yeah. And but HBO largely, has no
1: problem with with doing large budget television
0: now. No. Uh. Game of Thrones broke that fucking ceiling, and it paid off in dividends. Yeah. Here's the other. So. Uh you know we're going to need some budget for the high fantasy stuff but honestly not as much as you think because a lot of it is pretty western um you know like location shooting would probably be the most expensive the thing that's going to cost the fuck ton of money is licensing rights because as much as fucking possible i would try to intercut with footage of king movies to oh, try the, and create yeah, the this multiverse feel yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like let's let's have it cross over with you know Everything. fucking the '70s TV Salem's Lot and <laughs> like let's let's do it. Let's treat it like the the like all of the stuff. All of these King universes are canon and mm-hmm. play with that. In, that is in, very
1: I- difficult. I mean, I remember when when Jackie Brown and um, out of Sight came out within a year yeah. of each other. They had to cut through a lot of red tape because there was two different studios. They had to cut through a lot of red tape just to have Michael Keaton play the same character in both. Even though oh, Michael I- Keaton was in one scene and Out of Sight.
0: I understand it would be a logistic nightmare yeah. and no studio in their right mind would ever sign off on it. I mean, look at all the fucking... Problems Marvel's having just with the four characters that were on Netflix, you know, right? Uh, or, like Spi- I, or Spider-Man or Venom and all that bullshit. Yeah, so I get yeah. that. My vision of it would probably never happen. That would um, be cool though.
1: I yeah. get, I get it, but yeah, it would be, it would be hard. All right, uh my least favorite, and there's a lot here that I could say. Like I have them ranked, you know, like everything that I've seen from from Stephen King. And if I'm looking at the bottom of my list, I have Tommy Knockers as, as the worst Stephen King movie I've ever seen. But it's I so inconsequential. It's barely a movie. Came out on TV. I don't even remember it. And I feel like I don't even hate it enough to put it on this list. It's so nothing. It doesn't deserve to be ranked even as the worst of something. Because that's I, giving it more power than it deserves. <laughs> um I could also say Maximum Overdrive, which is not a good movie. But it's a whole lot of fun to watch and make fun of. And I think
0: there's- That's the only one that Stephen King himself directed, right? Yes. High as, high as
1: balls on cocaine. Oh
0: yeah.
1: Um, and it was all, it was an adaptation of his film, or his short story Trucks, which was also made into a film and it's also really bad. But I'm not gonna say that either. I'm actually, I could say the Carrie remake, which personally, it probably made me the most upset because as everyone knows now, I'm a huge Carrie fan and that remake basically turned her into Kitty Pride or some X-Men character or something and turn it into this weird thing that it's not supposed to be. Um, and again, Chloe Moretz issues. Uh But I'm going to say, and this could also be put as a uh, overrated, because I think some people remember liking this movie um, more than they should. Secret Window.
0: Yeah, I thought about this one. Mm-hmm. Uh That movie is... Here's the thing. I haven't seen it. So we saw it in theaters when it came out. Yeah. I haven't it's seen at a, it since. a
1: dollar theater second run. Yeah.
0: Uh yeah. I remember having a good time because we were all like making fun of it and stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, that was a bad movie. I also, in contention with that, uh I think kind of come came out at the same time was Dreamcatcher. Um
1: that came out a little bit before, I think. Um and Dreamcatcher's not good, but it is kind of ambitious. And I I think there's stuff about Dreamcatcher that works and then there's oh, yeah. stuff I, that doesn't work at all. My issue with I think, uh Secret it, Window is that and I think the only like decent thing about it is Johnny Depp's performance, because we weren't totally sick of him yet.
0: I watch it now. I wonder if you would have very different feelings. Maybe. About it. He, I
1: mean he's very mannered in everything in that film, and, and I mean, I love John Totoro, but he's done a lot of shit, if we're being real. Um Yeah. You know, decent like cast. E- Transformers
0: movies. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, decent cast. It's it's not even like necessarily poorly directed. I just don't think it's a very compelling Stephen King story as far as they go. Um, I also don't think that it it ultima- it's it's building up to this big climax that's really like telegraphed from a mile away. It's not interesting. It's been done a thousand times. It's not approached at in a way where it's almost so obvious you're like, oh, that's going to be the fake out and it's actually going to be something else. It's like, no, they just went for the, for the obvious thing. And, um, yeah, I just remember coming out of that movie thinking like, well, that kind of sucked. And, and then again, I like Tommyknockers or some of these other ones that uh, most people forgot about. I'd probably just forget about it and not think about it much, but I do see that movie pop up on lists and stuff every once in a while. as like a, you know a good movie um or people talk about it like online they'll be like oh man the movie's so fucked up blah 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 it's like I guess if you've never seen a movie before like if that was (laughs) the first movie you've ever seen and like the concept of of moving images just like really freaked you out then that would be impressive in any way whatsoever but otherwise I think it's like a very pedestrian thriller um psychodrama and it's not very good at all
0: yeah no I agree with you that movie's shit um (sighs) I I, get, I don't know, maybe it deserves revisiting. I haven't <laughs> seen it since. Maybe maybe we should uh put that on a streaming home or whatever I, don't, pops I up. think
1: I'm pretty confident. I, I have a I have a decent memory. For there's like a specific period in my life like I soaked up movies like a sponge and I can really remember every detail. Like there's movies now I've seen last week, I don't remember a single thing about them. But like that period in particular, like I can kind of remember them pretty well. I think
0: we should do uh, maybe a double feature if if either of these movies are streaming. I think we should do like a commentary on uh uh Dreamcatcher and Secret Window because that was like <laughs> kind of when we were hitting the 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 second lull of Stephen King. Yeah. Um, like his material was drying out.
1: Oh yeah, for, like, and then like kind hearts, of a second hearts time, Hearts of Atlantis, and there was just things that. Nobody cared to see, and it, 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 he lost his cachet there for a while. This is around yeah, the time I, he got in the accident. he wasn 't writing as much either,
0: so he's he's i mean his career with Hollywood has gone through some ups and downs as he, it will when right you're, now, but
1: when you 're a commodity for over forty years, so yeah, that wasn't one of his strongest periods of time but um uh okay, so now we're we're down to the wire here um best Stephen King film in your <sighs> opinionation.
0: I kind of had a tie again here, but I'll just, I'll, I'll mention a couple as honorable mentions, but I think we both know the obvious answer. Yeah. Um, so I'll just get that out of the way. The obvious answer is The Shining. It's, yes. I mean, I know Stephen King hates it and, uh, it's, it's one of the Stephen King properties that I have actually both read the book and seen the movie. Um, I don't think the movie gets as much wrong as he thinks it does. Right. Uh, and it's just a fucking amazing movie. It's, it's...
1: I have it, it, not read the book, but I did see the Mick Garris adaptation from the 90s with Steven Weber that was more quote unquote accurate. Um, and there are ideas that are book ideas that I don't think work cinematically. And to be fair, yeah. Mick Garris, who's directed like 90 Stephen King adaptations badly it probably didn't do them like justice. These, these book ideas, like things like instead of the hedge maze, you have topiary animals that come to life. And there's things like that that I just don't think are as scary or like, you know, a, a hose that turns into a snake, things like that, that I just don't think, um, work as well as Kubrick's more oppressive, um, tonal terror.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, no, I agree with you completely. I think, I think that both are valid and really interesting in conversation with each other. Uh-huh. Um, and even though it's not a literal adaptation, I think that Kubrick nails the mood and the, the, and it's just a completely watchable movie. I, I mean that of all the Stephen King movies that are out there, I think that's the one I've seen the most. I watch it. Every year or so, like it's yeah. just so fucking good. Um, so again, that's the obvious answer for me. Right? Uh, is The Shining. I'm going to give a shout out to um, honorable mentions to The Mist. Um, the Mist is great, and that was then for- that period. That was it we were talking about the Lowell period. Mm-hmm. That came
1: out Dead Center of Lowell period and was uh, a standout from that time. Yeah, period.
0: Uh, I think this movie feels really Stephen King. And when we're talking about Stephen King feel is important. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the ending, you know, it, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you because, uh, the ending is, is one of the most shocking and shockingly dark endings I've seen in yeah. a major budget Hollywood film. Yeah. Um, which was actually
1: a movie idea that was not in the original story. Yeah. He, um, but it, it, I I I want to say King said maybe he liked it better. I forget,
0: but um, he did. He did when he came out. But he says that he about says every that about fucking movie, except for the literally Shining. except the shame. <laughs>
1: yeah, his most lauded film. Um,
0: and then uh, one last shout out. I'm gonna give uh, even though you said it was the most overrated, I'm gonna say the the current iteration of it. Meh. Um, I now here's the thing. I count them as one movie. Sure. Um. And I think if counting it as one, because it chapter two, you know, you can go back and listen to our more detailed review. Um, it chapter two does fall a little bit short. Um, I'm counting it because A, I think it's incredibly entertaining and B, I think it's one of the most, uh, it, it, it revitalized Stephen King as a commodity and it, uh, it got the budget that a Stephen King movie deserves. Um, so for all of these reasons, I think it deserves there are some definitions of best that I think that it current it uh the recent movies could fall under um uh you know like the most commercially viable um and i think that is something i think you know the fact that it was't One, what is it like the highest grossing horror movie ever now,
1: or R rated Um, movie or something like that? Yeah,
0: something like I think that's worth mentioning, and I think it's because, despite its faults, Stephen King's basic idea shines through, and and I think uh, no
1: pun intended,
0: but yeah, so I think it does deserve some of its acclaim.
1: Well, it definitely knocked something loose that you know and got got this thing going again. And kind of reminded everybody why they loved his work and all of that. And I think that there are – there's ex- things about them that I like. I think uh Sarsgaard, Bill Sarsgaard and Pennywise is great. I love the young inspired. cast. Yeah. Um, there's scenes with the young cast that I think are really good. It's just ultimately I think the tonal horror is ah, – off. I think it's it, – it goes into Freddy Cougar when it should be going into Lovecraft.
0: I – I think it goes into Lovecraft a little bit more than you're remembering. Like it, that's one of the things that surprised me about the movies is like, yes, it could explore it more, but like the fact that they touch on the deadlights at all is, is I think impressive for a mainstream big, but biggest budget Hollywood fucking horror movie. Uh, I think it pulls off some, it swings for the fences doesn't hit it every time, yeah. But I think it gets more right than it gets wrong. And
1: I do so. have book reader bias, and that's not something yeah. that I usually suffer from because I'm not a like terribly well read person. But in this case, I definitely have book reader bias, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could go on and on about why those movies are conflicting for me, but I, um, I'll just say um, I agree with you. You know, if it wasn't totally obvious, um, The Shining is my favorite by a mile. Yeah. Not only is it one of the greatest Stephen King films, it's one of the greatest horror films ever made, and one of the greatest films ever made. I mean, it's a cinematic yeah. masterpiece. Um, and you can't say that about every single Stephen King adaptations, even the really good ones.
0: Most um, of them, in fact. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: it's just a it's a, a piece of beautiful artistic filmmaking. It's it's Kubrick, um, at the height of what he can
0: do. For my money, it's my favorite Kubrick movie. It's
1: it probably like is it, for a lot of people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's
1: a good gateway into his stuff especially because I think once you once you've I mean, you know, it's easier to get into that than say two thousand one. But once you've mm-hmm. seen uh The Shining and you understand his like his way of dealing with mood and stuff, it kinda gives you, you know, a door into his other work, his more challenging work. Um but yeah, love that movie, uh watch it every year. We'll be watching it. I ordered uh Doctor Sleep to come on Blu-ray, so that'll be a Ooh, nice. coming to me here pretty soon, then I'm going to watch that and The Shining back to back, which will be the first time I've ever done it. I usually watch The Shining with Room 237 back to back, so I might do mm-hmm. a triple on that.
0: Are you going are you going to watch them um, are you going to watch Doctor Sleep first or are you going to watch Shining first? I'll watch The Shining first. And then okay, and then
1: good. Doctor Sleep, then Room 237, if I'm really feeling up to it. All um as far also, as my uh runners ups, Carrie is my number two. And there's only a few of my uh these films that I watch pretty much every year, and that is one. Um I've always strongly connected to the movie. I saw it when I was maybe twelve or something on TV, and I've been watching it, you know, consistently ever since. I for me it's those performances it's the fragility of the character. It's the, the pathos and the, the emotion and, and the, um, the tragedy that really sells it for me on that. On top of like Brian De Palma's, you know, Hitchcock on steroids style direction. Um, I love all of that stuff too. And even like and the campiness of, of it and, and Piper Laurie just chewing up the scenery. Just, I love it. Love it, love and it. All Can't of that get enough. Is-
0: totally valid like i just it just yeah
1: um a lot lately i've been seeing in the the rankums online i've been seeing misery sneaking up higher and higher i've even seen it top some lists even above the shining Mm -hmm. i can't say that that's wrong i the misery is a really fucking good movie
0: It it is it is i wouldn't i again i wouldn't it's it's so hard. It's more
1: potboiler than The Shining. I think The Shining, ha- there's something about that film that is just far more sinister and dark and and, and terrifying. Time. And yeah, the, for me, I guess I, I think The Shining is a better film, but I think it, depending on the type of movie you are and what you yeah, want to get out of film. And if you're that's looking, fair. I think Misery is about as good as a thriller gets. I mean, that's yeah. just like, it's, and that, but, it's and solid. that performance, I mean, I mean, you just come on. Kathy Bates. Yeah,
0: I mean, Kathy Bates is incredible. Did <clears throat> she win an Oscar for that? She did. Yeah, she, she definitely did. And it. she was and, not and, uh, super
1: famous at the time either. That was the movie that sort of made her.
0: Also, um, shout out to James Caan. He's great in it too. Yeah, it wouldn't work without him.
1: Um and then, uh, there's another, uh, another one that I think, this, maybe this could even go underrated. Um The Dead Zone. Uh, the David Cronenberg uh, dead zone with uh
0: that's on my list of shame. That's one. I, I'm pretty sure I would love. I just haven't seen it. It's very, very good. It, again,
1: a very just studied thriller. It's not as body horror as other Cronenberg stuff. He kind of, he kind of sheathes his thing um for, for that film. Um, but it's still, it's still just really well made. And it's, it's a little bit more psychodrama than other stuff uh in Stephen King's body of work but um it really holds up I just watched it recently and it's uh it's really great and I think a lot of people like uh, it kind of fell through the cracks because Cronenberg's done movies that are more well known um for his body of work and then also there was that TV show that a lot of people are like eh, don't really care so yeah. I don't think a lot of people went back and watched it although Some
0: people are, ever since
1: are, are, the the Trump years there's things about the Dead Zone that are a lot more kind of prescient and people are talking about again, so.
0: There's also Dead Zone TV show stands, so well, don't knock yeah, that.
1: But there's like the 4400 stands.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's there's, there's the heroes dome stand stands still.
1: So, alright, there it is. That's our over-under, best-worst, uh, Stephen King adaptations as of 2020. Alright, well let's go ahead and get into our experiment, um... And we're gonna start here by talking about, uh, What Lies Beneath, which was a film I had not seen prior to this, have you? Mm-mm. Uh, this was directed by Robert Zemeckis. It came out in 1999 or 2000. When did this come out? These movies came out almost uh, the same year, which I did not do on purpose.
0: Really? Yeah. They look incredibly different. And feel uh, different, yes. Yeah. Uh Yeah, What Lies Beneath was 2000, And Music of the Heart was 99. Yeah. Whoa!
1: <laughs>
0: That's weird.
1: So there's some uh, uh, context to, to put into this when we go into this. Uh, okay. Now, I will say, in this experiment, this was the harder one to find. Because, obviously, Wes Craven doing Music of the Heart is an anomaly, and it's really fucking weird. And it's (laughs) worth talking about just on that alone. It's not as easy to find a quote-unquote non-horror director doing a quote-unquote horror film. Um, And I had a couple choices I could have went with. You know, Richard Donner's first film was The Omen, and he never really did a movie like that again. But I feel like The Omen is so The Omen that it's just like, what is there to say about The Omen that hasn't been said a hundred times?
0: I don't know, but You know, we do that with the Shinings. (laughs) That, that is true. But I
1: mean, for the, I wanted to see something I'd never seen before. Yeah. So the reason I'm saying this is because Robert Zemeckis, while not known specifically for horror, has dabbled. I mean, most recently he did the remake of The Witches, um, which just came out on Disney Plus, I think, right? Or is it Uh, Amazon or? Netflix? Uh, I
0: think Amazon.
1: Yeah, I forget. But uh he he recently did that. He also did in the early nineties, um, speaking of Meryl Streep, he did uh Death Becomes Her, which is kind of a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Um
0: and then I he didn't know that was him. Interesting.
1: Yeah, he kinda had a little weird period there. Uh and then he also did a couple episodes of uh Tales of the Crypt. But largely speaking, he's kind of known more for crowd pleasers, big blockbusters. Stuff like Forrest Gump, Back to the Future, etc.
0: So. Water Express, motion capture. Oh yeah,
1: he had his little mocap phase there. And you could even say there's some horror-ish stuff in Beowulf. But, you know, for the most part, this was, I think, the most overt horror film he made. Um, where that is the, the angle you're selling it on is it's a, it's a ghost movie. It's a, you know, kind of a murder mystery. It's a thriller. And it's going on, it's, it's, it's specifically directed with the intention to be thrilling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So go ahead and t- describe to me what happens in what lies beneath.
0: Okay. So M- Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford play these, uh, sort of empty nesters. Um, he is like a research scientist and she is a retired. Cellist,
1: cellist. Yes, another weird <laughs> uh, connection to yeah, to music kind of
0: the heart. Uh, ch- so she's a retired cellist. Um, she got into a, a pretty bad accident. Mm-hmm. Um, that we don't at the beginning don't really know the details of. Um, uh, but she's just kind of trying to live normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, hyper wealthy,
1: uh, hyper yeah, upper crust, super super white
0: town and country
1: red. society. Vermont, uh, I believe, is where they're living.
0: Yeah, some like fucking...
1: Somewhere on the, on a dock, like an expensive dock house in Lake Vermont. Lake House, yeah. Yeah.
0: It, well, they're part of it is like they're fixing up Harrison Ford's dad's house or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, we could write a book about plot threads that go nowhere in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, and she, at first, so we know she's got, been in this bad accident and she's kind of, She's still kind of recovering from that, both mentally and physically. She, like, she's becomes a little paranoid, like she thinks that her neighbor maybe did something, uh, to his wife, maybe even murdered her. And then that kind of creeps into this supernatural paranoia, uh, where she starts thinking she's seen ghosts. Um, this woman appearing in like water and reflective surfaces and, or she thinks she might be starting to like lose her, her mind. Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the heart of this movie is this sort of ghosty mystery. Yeah. Um, without getting too crazy with the twists and the spoilers and the turns.
1: With kind of a domestic psychological drama wrapping everything up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess basically, I didn't like this movie at all.
1: At <laughs> all? Okay, interesting.
0: <laughs> I thought it was kind of like I thought the plot was kind of sprawling and messy. Yeah. Um, I thought that the story doesn't really make sense when you kind of hold a candle to it, and there's
1: about three uh, red herrings too many.
0: Yeah, and. I also think the thriller aspect of it is pretty boring. Um, like, there's moments that are supposed to be suspenseful that I was kind of laughing at because I thought they were pretty bad. I also think that you can pinpoint this as the exact moment that Harrison Ford decided he didn't give a fuck about acting anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh I just thought this movie was a big old pile of boring juice with Michelle Pfeiffer trying her best in the middle of it. Um, I did not care for this movie.
1: So, I remember when this movie came out, and this, funnily enough, this is the same year that Castaway came out. The much bigger, sprawling Zemeckis project. And that took, like, whatever, three three to five years to make or something like that, because, like, Tom Hanks, like, lost weight for the movie and, like, grew a weird beard and everything. So... I don't know at what point like they took a few months off so he could go and make this cheap thriller. Um but they were released in the same year. Uh but I remember there was the they they were very cagey about the way they marketed this film. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't know by seeing the trailers which were all over the place
0: and yeah. like this was, the
1: movie was marketed to death.
0: Um and I remember seeing one trailer and <clears> at the time being like not going to see that Yeah, Uh, I didn't know if, (laughs) if they were embarrassed by its pulpier
1: horror trappings, like they didn't want to sell it as a ghost story, or if they wanted to, to hide the reveals so that for the movie experience, like what the deal was. But the only other movie I can think of that was marketed like this where you just didn't know what the fuck it was about (laughs) based on the trailer at all was, uh, was uh talented Mr. Ripley. Both films were just oh, like yeah. this movie is vaguely scary for a reason.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> it's dramatic, and there's that cello. Yeah. That sharp cello sound. Here's uh, Michelle
1: Pfeiffer in a bathtub. This is important. We're not gonna tell you why.
0: Yeah.
1: Um yeah, so I knew nothing about this movie really going in. I knew that it was like kind of a thriller and kind of a horror film. And I like the cast. Uh I like Michelle Pfeiffer. I think she's she's kind of underutilized, I think. And I think that there's even to this day things you could do with her that people haven't.
0: Um Yeah, I mean, I think she's a good actress and I think this isn't in her, her best work. This, she's decent though. Like she's she's churning out a a notable performance. Like yeah. she's working for her paycheck. It's Yeah, no, it's she's not She's not doing blowing, a, but. Yeah,
1: she's not doing a bad job at all. Um and there's a little bit of dual acting in it for reasons. Um and I and I I do agree that I think that uh, Harrison Ford is kind of sleepwalking through the film a little bit.
0: I didn't think and kind he of was miscast, I think.
1: Well, interestingly casted, because I think at this point in time, and maybe this was the purpose of why he was cast, but he was still kind of seen as Indiana Jones, he's still kind of seen as Air Force One. Like, people kind of saw him as this, like, fatherly, uh, the, sort of protective the Jack figure. Jack Ryan.
0: Yeah. Clear and present danger. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I think, like, that, you know, they're playing on that a little bit or or subverting that. Um, the
0: Fugitive wasn't too long ago. Yeah.
1: And, and this is at the height of, like, him doing, you know, those type of movies. And uh I kind of, there's some, like, stylistic stuff I dig. I like the the water motif throughout the film sure i mean um, i like the uh some of the some of the you know like the bathtub stuff and and the looking over the dock and there's there's kind of a uh a gothic romance gothic horror uh yeah, vibe, the, the, you know, misty lakes and that kind of stuff, and
0: and it it does fit aristocracy, uh, that
1: modern type aristocracy, of, uh,
0: that type of gothic ghost story, like it yeah, does. and like it, it, just, it
1: feels a little bit like Zemeckis doing like his version of a Rebecca or a Jane Eyre or something like that. It isn't quite as highfalutin as even those movies, um, and it is it, it kind of like ultimately is a. Sort of a cheesy
0: B-movie. Um Yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the thing. I think when this movie is working, it is like high-class Lifetime movie. Yeah. Uh, when it's not yeah. working, it's boring as fuck. And for me, most of the time it was not working. There's some stuff that it was like... There are some moments where I was starting to be like, oh, okay... Here we go. The movie's starting now. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then nope. it kind of okay. like
1: shifts down again. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, know. Like what at you mean. the
0: start there's like this kind of rear windowy aspect, sure. this like voyeuristic thing that to me was one of the more interesting like the most interesting part of the movie, and then they totally just are like, Nope. Yeah, the movie kinda is is in fits and starts. It does that a lot. And to me, it's every time it does that, the thing that it chooses to do is less interesting. It's like, here's something we're setting up, but it's actually this that's not as cool. And even that actually isn't what's really going on. It's this <laughs> that you probably saw coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, this kind of falls in the same category as, uh, as, uh, Secret Window as the, the twists are very telegraphed. It's not very hard to put this thing together. Um, mm-hmm. once they, you know, set aside some of the red herrings, which are, again, pretty obvious, um, then, you know, you can do the movie math pretty easily and and get your ending before, a good half hour before it happens. Um, yeah, and then it happens, and then it ends again. Right. I mean, they, they try and do, like, the horror movie fake-out ending a couple times, but uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. There's It's not anything to write home about. There is a... There was, I don't know if it still exists. There, there used to be kind of a fan base for this movie. I think of People who wanted something scary but don't normally watch horror films.
0: Um, sure, and something scary that's not too scary, something that's not gonna give you nightmares, right. but, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, a lot of people who make that distinction between horror and thriller, this is definitely right. well, a well, thriller. I, like,
1: ironically, I think the, the attempt was elevated horror, but it's...
0: I hate that term by the way. I
1: know. And you should. <laughs> but, in the attempt, because I think the things that would have actually made the movie better is to lean into the horror tropes more, yeah. lean into the gothic horror, lean into the ghost shit, let it be scarier, let it be darker, pull, you know, uh, pull the tension tighter, um, cut away some of the side plots and side characters and stuff like that, make it just a little leaner and a little meaner and, uh, you know... And actually really go for it, but I think the idea was like, well, we're making a serious film here. And funnily enough, it, it, be, it becomes more rote and more tropey and more ridiculous by them mm-hmm. taking it more seriously. Um, however, there are, there are some unintentional things that I think are great in this movie. I love how big of a dick their neighbor is. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's hard to go wrong with, uh, James Remar. He's, right. He's so great at... And, I mean, they intentionally cast someone who kind of resembles Harrison Ford as the neighbor. Right. And who kind of resembles her as the neighbor. I thought this was going to be a whole different twist at the beginning where I was like, oh, clearly Michelle Pfeiffer died in this car accident. <laughs> uh and you know he he caused the car accident and murdered her, and she's a ghost, and she has to figure her shit out and the neighbors are them in the past and like i was I had this wow. way more interesting story <laughs> in my head. I thought it was like uh she's stuck in i thought it was like uh she's stuck in limbo kind of thing, yeah, and then I was like, oh no, this is." Way more boring, than
1: that. <laughs> uh but yeah, I, I loved I loved his performance in it. I think he kind of knows what movies and because he's been in a lot yeah. of B movies. Um, and then I also really like her like sassy best friend her, character, best friend
0: Judy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who she comes, was great
1: and and those scenes where they're doing like the Ouija board and stuff. It's like that's what the movie is. Like I even thought if there the might movie be like- could have like. Look yeah. could have like grown out of that sort of sensibility, um then we totally. might have had something
0: I also like when she gave her that book on witchcraft, I was like, yeah, oh, are they is this a fucking hereditary situation here <laughs> uh, but no, again, way less interesting, yeah, yeah,
1: um, so I guess the, is if we're analyzing this at the the idea of like you know, and I kind of did, I suppose, but like Robert Zemeckis, is not normally known for horror, but certainly is familiar with it. I mean, even Who Framed Roger Rabbit has its moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Judge Doom is scarier than anything in this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, and even like the monster stuff in Beowulf and, uh, the unintentionally scary stuff from Polar Express.
0: <laughs> um, I don't think that counts. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, if, if we're looking at it that way, um, I th okay, I think based solely on this movie as anecdotal evidence, I think it is hard for a non-horror director to direct horror. But I don't, I I don't, actually, because I think that there's,
1: there's been plenty of directors who don't solely do horror, who have dipped their toe in it and have done it better. Um, you know, one of the only reasons, again, we didn't talk about The Shining, when we could have, um... Yeah. But we didn't because I think that, you know, two thousand one, Clockwork Orange, even Eyes Wide Shut are all kind that, of
0: Yeah, I think they all kind pretty... of
1: uncanny horror ish movies, even though they're not officially horror films. Um mm. but you know, I think Robert Zemeckis could make a great horror film. I think the problem is the the intention I think the source material, not great. The script uh by Greg Clark, Clark Gregg.
0: Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Of yeah. uh, 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 Avengers, same.
1: Yeah. Um. Pretty pedestrian. Um. There was a lot of this kind of like middle of the road stuff during this era. Um. Mm. Actually, this was the year, or would have been, just a year after, or right around this time is when M Night Shyamalan came onto the scene. Mm. So we're already seeing like this kind of thing done better. Um. Yeah. And. Yeah. There was a reason like that film was nominated for stuff and this one wasn't. Uh but yeah, I think that uh I think he could make a good horror film. I think the issue is um he was probably like really a lot more concerned with Castaway and the rollout of that. And I yeah. think that
0: he I think also just this was, movie I this movie was trying for a commercial viability that yeah. I think just you're not going to get that from this kind of a thriller if it's rated PG-13. Like, right. you're not going to please anybody. The people wanting a horror movie or a thriller are going to be disappointed. And the people who want... I don't know. the I just... I don't know who this movie's trying to appeal to. Moms. I mean, I know who it's trying to appeal to. This is to, mom horror. I just, no, I know. But I think... I think moms... I think even... <sighs> that's... <laughs> I think a mom would much more appreciate something that's genuinely, like, like misery we just sure. talked about, yeah. is, is this kind of a, uh, movie, but done good, done well, like, yeah. like you said, don't pull your punches, treat it Don't hold the audience's hand and, and try to safeguard us. Let us make our own decisions about the movie. Yeah. Uh, stop trying to make it appeal to everybody because then it appeals to nobody.
1: Right. No, you're, you're, you're right. It is, it's just the nature of the beast. It is a middle of the road kind of whatever movie. I don't think it's like so bad. I don't, I don't hate it. I could even see why some people at the time liked it, but I don't think it holds up. And no, it's, uh, um, there's so many films that are, like, even, like I said, The Sixth Sense comes out after this, The Others comes out after this. Didn't The Ring come out around this time? A little bit. Uh, that came out three or four years later, but, and that's, I think, a little bit more into solidly horror territory. But, sure,
0: but it, it's still like, the, a, like, the ghost thriller, right? Yeah I, yeah, I You know, I think it's, it's still comfortably in the same genre. I think, uh... You know, it, it's way scarier. It's a much scarier movie. Yeah.
1: I think, I think mom's going to be running out of the theater at the ring though.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's fair. And
1: then she's going to go to the video store and pick up, uh, practical magic again.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not, um, <laughs> it's not a sexy movie either. This no, this one is definitely movie.
1: going for like, uh, there's some like middle aged soft stuff going on.
0: Yeah, but it's still rated PG-13, Right, like, so it couldn't
1: I, even fully go for that.
0: If, if yeah. you're, yeah, if you're gonna make it like a sexy thriller, like, give us fucking Fatal Attraction. Like, let's, you know, let's, right. uh, let's well, get sexy.
1: Adrian Lyon, who made Fatal Attraction, made, uh, Jacob's Ladder a few, few years later. Uh, anyway, so yes, that's, that's that. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Wes Cravens. Music of the heart. (laughs)
0: Music of the heart.
1: And I'm with you. I thought while watching it, uh, you know, half hour or so into the movie, I thought this came out in like 1995. And then I looked it up and it's between because I'm like, where is this in his catalog? What did he just do? What did he do after this? This is in between Scream 2 and 3.
0: What? Weird. Because like, it's yeah, a very—I I thought this was firmly early '90s. I thought it was like '93. Well, if I had to guess,
1: it is sort of a period piece, right? Because it takes it—it it takes place over a ten-year period of time, the whole story, and it well, starts. Let's
0: get it. Uh, okay, we'll get we'll yeah. get into
1: it, but it starts in 80, 83 or something, and then. Ends in '93 or something because there's a postscript at the end. This is based on, sort of on a true story. There was a documentary that uh, came out about this story that this was adapted from. And the story is, and I'll 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 explain. Uh, Meryl Streep plays Roberta. She's a middle-aged divorcee um, with her two sons, and she's looking for work. She's trying to get her life together. She is a concert violinist, not a celloist, but a violinist. Uh, she's done a little bit of teaching with violin, but never really like uh had a whole class to herself or anything like that. She's taught her kids how to play violin at a very young age. Um, and she's looking to kind of pick up her life again, get her groove back, as it were. Um, and she takes a job in the inner city um, in Harlem. Where she, uh, gets a, gets kind of a, uh, adjunct, uh, teaching job at this inner city school, the struggling inner city school where Angela Bassett is the principal. And she has to kind of prove herself that she can get these rowdy, you know, black and brown children. (laughs) I mean, the racial politics in this film, um, to, 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 to calm down and to listen and to, uh, concentrate on learning how to play violin. Um and you know she sort to of prove herself blah blah blah. There is a weird ten year jump in the middle of the film for no reason, as far as I can tell. That kind of goes into the school struggling and this program maybe getting cut. Uh, I be- I want to say it was this film and maybe um also uh Holland's Opus. What was that film? Mr. 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 Holland's yes. Opus. Both of these were like um was like VH1 Saves the Music presents. Uh, music of the heart and Mr. Holland's Opus, but yeah, so that's the movie. Meryl Streep, um, inspirational, uh, teaches kids how to play violin as directed by Wes Craven.
0: This movie is weird. This is a weird movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I here's the thing. I can't. Okay, I if I had to choose between the two. I liked, I definitely liked this one more. Just as a movie,
1: um, not as a horror film, but just as a movie going experience. Yeah, just
0: as a, a viewing experience. But I wouldn't say it's a good movie. There's kind of not really any dramatic tension <laughs> until <laughs> the last 20 minutes, sort of. Uh, and even that is kind of iffy. I, but I do think that, um, I do think that Wes Craven, one of his skills has always been sort of capturing, uh, uh, relatable Americana. And I think that's why his, his horror stands out. Like in Scream, the teenagers feel like real teenagers. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, he, you know, again, he t- the treats the teenagers yeah. with this kind of respect. Uh, uh, he, he, he always respects his characters even if he does some fucked up shit to them. Um and I think that's kind of why his horror is effective is cuz you know we have to like these characters unlike a lot of the Friday the 13th and and the later Halloween installments um you know the slasher stuff that he is kind of making fun of he has he wants us to feel bad when these characters die in his horror milieu. Yeah. And so I think he has this ability to make people's look and sound real. I think he, he has this ability to make them relatable. And I think that's where this movie works. I think, you know, Meryl Streep, uh, again, there are some sweaty racial politics in this movie. (laughs) Um, one of my uh, favorite
1: things in this film, um, is every single time they're outside, like when it cuts from a classroom setting or an office or something like that. And then the teachers have to go discuss something in the parking lot it goes to steady cam shaking all over the place, rap music blaring in the background, mm.
0: and kids yeah. playing
1: basketball around them. Just to really drive it home, they're in the ghetto, they're in the...
0: It, 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 <laughs> this is an urban environment. <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> Which, to be fair, Harlem today is very different than it would have been in the 80s, uh, but... Right. Yeah, again, there's some, and, and you know, I... I actually didn't know this was based on a true story, so I was kind of a little uncomfortable by some of the white savior stuff going on here. Right,
1: and they tried um, to address that a little bit. I think they, there's the, because this is, this is a pretty well-worn movie archetype. This, like, the inspirational yeah. teacher comes in, helps the struggling kids, blah, blah, blah. There was a bunch of these movies in the 90s and 80s. Lean on sure. me.
0: Whatever. Uh well yeah and and so that's where I think it kind of fails as a movie is it doesn't really do the inspirational teacher thing mm-hmm. like she comes into the classroom and the kids are kind of rowdy but they're not like <laughs> yeah they're not like these these really troubled kids, they're just like, they just haven't just kids. gotten. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They just haven't gotten maybe the, the quite the attention they deserve or, 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 you know, or the respect they need. Um, like we see the other, one of the other music teachers and he's just like, literally just. Oh yeah. Giving everyone a D. He's like,
1: written to be like the worst person in a
0: movie. Yeah. I loved him. Uh his performance. <laughs> he is a t- he is a monster. He is he is worse than Freddy <laughs> Krueger. Um
1: <laughs> sniveling music teacher man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh but like, you know, normally this in I guess maybe it's a good thing this movie doesn't hit those tropes too hard. Ooh, um I don't know about that. But I, yeah, I th- exactly like there's not really any any movie here. Like it's just like how comfortable are you watching meryl streep you know be kind of upset about her divorce and uh you know yelling uh, at just kids. her her sort of getting over it like like there's there's not really a uh structure here there's not really a story and 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 there's kind of two movies like it's, so the it's first, bifurcated
1: in the the structure is bizarre the
0: most awkward way yeah it it like literally an hour into a two hour movie it does a Avengers Endgame, game ten years later jump <laughs> and I'm I was like reeling from that I was like uh okay <laughs> like like yeah. What? We I I we get I mean, a climax
1: I was- and everything. There's like literally six acts in this movie because you have two different movies. It's like they had two different scripts and they couldn't decide which one they wanted to do, so they just truncated them and put them together.
0: Yeah. It was weird. Uh it and it almost felt like this could have been like a uh you know, if this script was passed around in Hollywood today, they would option it as uh a TV show because you know that's a season arc of how like her students return and and help her out and and you know all this stuff, which I liked. I I liked that stuff and I liked the characters and and I liked uh Meryl Streep's great in it. Um, I, I thought all the you know the the side characters were great. Angela Bassett's really good. Like, I liked everything that was going on. I was just like kind of like this isn't a movie. <laughs> It um, just sort of feels like hanging out with, you know, with Meryl, Meryl Streep, just getting st- her groove back,
1: streeping it on. Uh Aiden Quinn is a big '90s actor. Whatever happened to that guy? He was in ooh, everything ooh. in the '90s. He plays ooh, her like construction worker boyfriend in the beginning. Oh,
0: in the first, in the first uh, half. half.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, and he was in like Benny and June, and he was in a bunch of shit in the '90s. I,
0: don't know, I didn't he was see like, a lot of... He was I, like
1: the heartthrob of, like, the middle-aged whatever. That's
0: funny, This is because I haven't seen a lot of those movies, and in my head I was like, oh, this guy's attractive, why didn't he do more stuff?
1: <laughs> he was in a, a shit ton of stuff in the 90s, and I, I guess he probably still does TV or something now, I don't know. Usually when I don't know where somebody went, they went to TV. Um. But I yeah, I mean... Anymore. Aiden Quinn, something. whatever happened to that guy. Um. So... This movie's kind of interesting to me for a few reasons. Obviously the Wes Craven thing. Um, yeah. you know, especially in between scream films and stuff like that. So this is pretty late into his, his work. But the thing about Wes Craven that's, uh, maybe not everyone knows is when Wes Craven first started making movies, he was not a fan of horror himself personally. He was never really um like a you know he didn't plan on becoming the master of horror that was not his plan as a filmmaker. he wanted to make mm. films he wanted to make any film he could he wanted to get work. he was a film s- student he um uh he went to went to film school in the sixties he was one of those like hippie you know f- uh movie brats and um he came up mostly loving art house movies. And he loved like, you know, Fellini and, and Kurosawa and all of that stuff that was coming out in the sixties. And that's what he sort of aspired to as a filmmaker. In fact, when he made Last House on the Left as his first film, an exploitation film, um, you know, really vicious, disgusting movie, that was essentially a remake, a modern remake of, uh, Bergman's The Virgin Spring. He just puts it in contemporary times instead of the middle ages. But it's the same story, you know, girl gets raped and killed and parents get revenge. Um, and uh that movie was so effective and he got a lot of attention from it. So the way to, you know, keep his career going is to churn out more work like that, which led, it, led into uh The Hills Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street. And by the time you make a gajillion dollars off of Nightmare on Elm Street, you are the master of horror. <laughs> And that's mm-hmm. what you are and that's what you're always going to be. And he never really strayed from that. So it took all the way into the late nineties for him to gain enough credibility. And a lot of people don't, maybe, I don't know, some people know this, but, um, distribution company that put out the scream movies, um, I can't think of what was it called? Do you remember? It was, it was a big thing in the nineties. It put out, it was, it was basically the genre arm of Miramax. Yeah, it started, with uh, a,
0: started with a D. Uh, um, does not say on IMDb.
1: And they put out a lot of these like teen slashers and screamer pops and stuff. So it was working with the Weinstein's. I know we get to go there. Um, that basically gave him that bridge to go from making the films, making the Scream films into. Uh, getting through the door of Miramax to put this movie out. Holy
0: fuck. Scream came out in 1996? Yes. I thought Scream came out in 1999. Man, my, like, (laughs) perception of the world is real weird. Well,
1: Scream was so popular, it was re-released in theaters. So it had, like, a double run. Like, it was in theaters for almost a year straight.
0: Maybe that's what I was thinking. And uh to answer your earlier question, Dimension
1: Dimension Films, yes, Dimension Films was the genre arm of Miramax by the Weinstein brothers, um, and I think that's what ga- like led him into being able to make this film for Miramax, um, which was their more prestige films and what eventually go to the Oscars and that kind of stuff. So I watched this movie thinking, why would Wes Craven, this guy who's always, his whole career, w- wanted to make a serious film and wanted to be a, known as a dramatic film director. Why is this the story he has to tell? And then I'm thinking, like...
0: Well, I mean, it is a story about uh, art and art appreciation. And, like, I, I get why... Think about the journey of Meryl Streep. Yeah, she, she, uh, she wants to be a concert cellist who plays at Carnegie Hall, but she, you know, ends up getting married too young with this guy and then ends up having to teach this school and find satisfaction doing this thing she never planned on doing. Um, right. You know, and then finds she finds satisfaction. One
1: shot bringing- to prove herself,
0: right? Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. You know, if we're gonna get really dorky into auteur theory and all that stuff, I kind of
0: get it now. Um, that said, well, also this this movie is like, yeah, you know, I didn't know anything about this movie. Mm-hmm. It, I just saw the poster when I Googled it, and you know it it looks so fucking cheesy. <laughs> it is fucking cheesy.
1: This is a cheesy yeah.
0: movie. It is. This is a
1: crowd pleaser. This is, um, you know, it's a, it's a feel good movie if you're, you know, in quotation marks as the genre of a feel good film. It is made with the intention of like having inspirational, heart swelling moments, big obvious, uh, setups and uh, ch- uh, character arcs that, you know, that are totally rote. Um, it's not even the best in this genre, as far as like the school teacher who comes and inspires people.
0: Not, no. I mean, yeah. Dead
1: Poet Society. I mean, there's a gazillion movies that are much better than this. Um, but it's watchable. Is it? Yeah. Is this a movie that only could have been made by Wes Craven? I don't no. think so. <laughs> I don't think that, and I think that that's ultimately why this wasn't the film to like, you know, open this new chapter in his career. Um, he went on to make scream three and then, you know, uh, I think actually the best post this movie movie that he made late in his career was red eye, which was a little bit more sort of a grounded thriller. And I think that if he had kind of went more that direction and kind of eased his way out of slasher films and whatever, um, you know exclusively horror genre stuff into kind of you know maybe making red eye and then his next thing be like a a uh espionage thriller or something like that and then into whatever he could have maybe found something else but i think you know going straight from scream 2 into music to the heart
0: i don't know yeah that's a that's a tough i i can see why i never heard of this movie i can see why it didn't take uh, again, not. I don't think this is a terrible movie. No, it's totally I think, watchable. I think most of the problems with it are more with the screenplay yeah. than with the direction. Um, yeah, the but dialogue yeah.
1: is pretty stilted. The structure is bizarre um, and is not helping the dramatic stakes of the film. All the acting's fine for what it is, what everyone's doing. Uh, it's nobody's best performance, but nobody's no. ruining it either. Uh, yeah.
0: No, all the kids are pretty
1: good. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of child acting that has to play. It is, um, I think it's pretty on the nose, like the whole movie. Yeah, like it's oh, so totally. earnest and so sincere and so syrupy. It's just, it's it get, it becomes self-parody pretty fast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I wanted one ounce of actual dramatic tension.
1: <laughs> I called it at
0: the beginning of the film.
1: I said, you know. Well I was like waiting for the big uh third act dramatic thing that's oh, going to yeah. like whatever it's like what is what's going to happen they're either going to have to somebody's going to steal all the violins and sell them for drugs or something like that and yeah. then they'll have to get the money somehow or no i or uh, yeah. one of the kids is going to get shot
0: <laughs> and oh, yeah well kind of both even, happen <laughs> that isn't even like the big dramatic thing that's that's
1: the uh the the third act uh reveal in the first half of the film
0: yeah uh that's the thing like i think of i think this movie would have been enough if they just i think the first half was better Um i agree i I think before the 10-year jump um and i think if they had just committed to that a little more would it have I mean, yeah, it still would have been really on the nose, and it still would have been real syrupy and all that, but I think then it would have at least felt like a movie. Yeah. Um, instead of a weird, truncated sort of TV show. Right. Um I
1: think if you had I, had a stronger script, um, and then maybe a more assured hand I mean,
0: yeah, I thought this whole thing was gonna be building up to this kid's concert yeah. thing and and like it was going to be like, oh no, they're not ready, but we only have two weeks till the concert. But uh, they finally push her over the edge and she wants to quit. And then they come around and are like, we're sorry, Miss Roberta, we'll be good kids. <laughs> and then they get their shit together for the final big dramatic concert where they blow everybody away. But instead, they just kind of have the concert and blow everybody <laughs> away. And then there's a fucking 10 year jump. And I'm like, what the Fuck movie, right? Yeah, it it really asks you
1: to kind of build that bridge. Like, remember all those characters you like? Well, they're gone. So
0: you know, this is
1: this Literally, is say by the say by the Bell, the new class. You got to get used to it. Here's a new cast.
0: Um yeah, and and they bring them back for fun cameos. But and I did like you know seeing that stuff. I. I get why they wanted to do the ending that they did. Right. It's I just know. don't think you can get to that in in the script you have. But whatever. I think we're nitpicking this movie way <laughs> way more than it even deserves. I think it's just perfectly palatable. Yeah, it's,
1: a, it's a again another middle of the road pleasant little, you know, feel good whatever of a movie.
0: Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's entertaining enough um but again for my money I enjoyed this one a lot more than what lies beneath which felt like it was s- straining at least this movie felt like pretty relaxed in what it was and felt felt pretty comfortable in that whereas what lies beneath to me felt like it was trying way too hard
1: yeah yeah it's interesting to see one director sort of downplaying his directorness, you know, in West West Craven, he's like turning down those dials, you know, he's not doing way down. He's not doing like really dramatic setups and stuff like that. He's not doing like Dutch angles and, and dramatic lighting and music cues and all the stuff you can do in horror film. Um, that would be too obvious in a, in a, in a non-genre film. Um, it's, it's interesting to see him do that and then see Robert Zemeckis turning up those dials. And not Mm -hmm. doing it effectively.
0: Yeah, not sticking them. Yeah, it is. I, and I think, like you said, I don't know, this experiment kind of just led to two pretty blah, whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, neither, I, I don't really necessarily recommend either. I mean, if you happen to catch them, you're not going to like feel like you wasted your day on it, but it's, uh, I felt
0: a little like I did with what lies beneath.
1: See, I think it's fine. I think. I think I might have liked that one a little bit more, actually, as far as just a viewing experience. Mm. Um, Because generally speaking, I'd rather watch a bad horror film than a like a bad like feel good drama.
0: But yeah, but at least a feel good drama leaves you feeling good.
1: I guess, yeah. You know who could have rocked this movie? I think. I think if this movie, Music of the Heart, had been made by Cameron Crowe, then you know you would have had something. Alright, well that was that, that's our, uh, officially our Halloween episode, the next, uh, <laughs> the, the next Ooh, <laughs> music of spooky. the heart. Um, the next, uh, the next episode we do, what is our streaming homework?
0: Everything's uh, streaming homework,
1: but what is our, uh, what's, uh, <laughs> an older film that we're talking about?
0: Our, our streaming homework, our hashtag streaming homework for the next episode, uh is the Simpsons movie streaming on Disney Plus. Yes. Uh I feel like it's been a while since we've done a cartoon and um you aren't a rabid Simpsons fan, so I'm an yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: so I think it'll be interesting viewing to see uh uh someone who's pretty has a pretty casual understanding of the Simpsons verse come to the Simpsons movie. Right. And it's been a long time since I've seen it so I'm curious to see if it holds up at all. For sure.
1: So we'll be talking about that. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the topics that came up in this podcast or past, uh, you can get a hold of us on our social media, um, facebook.com slash mcguffinpod Or you can look us up on Twitter and Instagram at McGuffinPod. You can also send us an email. We'll read it on air at McGuffinpod at gmail.com. Um, if you happen to be listening to us either on iTunes, Stitcher radio, pocket Casts, or player.fm, go ahead and leave us a star rating and a one sentence review. We could always use the attention. Um, and, uh, you can follow me individually on Twitter at VC Cassidy. I'm also available, uh, showing my record collection on Instagram under VC Cassidy as well.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at keith foster kid even though it's trash and get off of it and go vote um or you can follow me on instagram at keith foster kid uh you can also follow my art account um at sticky note aesthetic uh my commissions are still open um i have prices listed on there if you're interested in seeing kind of what i do um yeah i think that's pretty much it
1: yep So have a happy Halloween, be safe, make good decisions, wear a mask and not just the spooky kind, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, try not to have gigantic parties with a bunch of people.
0: Yeah. Stop the spread. Yeah. Let's stay alive. Let's,
1: let's slash the curve. Hashtag slash the curve.
0: (laughs) Man, we're so old. (laughs) This is just like (laughs) two fucking old people trying to appeal to the youth. (laughs) Alright, bye. You guys stink! If you sound like this for your concert, you're gonna make your parents sick!